Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Morning. It's always good when your microphone goes when you turn it on, isn't it? So uh, I've got this instead. Good morning. Great. As Ali said, we're continuing our series looking at uh, the book of First Peter uh, in the Bible. And today we're going to kind of come to the conclusion of kind of a bit of a section that began back in chapter two, uh, when Peter is calling the church and telling them how we are to walk as exiles and aliens in this world. The big question really is, how do we reflect Christ in all that we do? Peter has been talking about three major areas of social interaction in our society, kind of in our relationship to the government, at the workplace, uh, with our employers, and in the home. That's kind of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. If you've missed it, I'd encourage you to catch up. Uh, but we've also noted that Peter says the general role for all of us, in all of our roles, kind of to be a life submitted to God. Both Jack and Andrew have really helpfully unpacked that over these last few weeks, breaking so many of our perceptions, I guess, around this and that word, and I'd really encourage you to catch back up. But today, as we get to chapter 3, verse 8 to 11, 8 to 12, Peter takes us to a fourth area of social interaction, and this is the church. As believers, we live in society, we have jobs, we have marriages, potentially, friendships, but we also are a family of believers. And today, Peter is writing to Christian believers on how to interact with each other and to show Jesus to the world. Before I get going, in second century AD, an early church author and historian, hopefully this guy, said that the Roman government was so suspicious of churches because they were growing so rapidly that they would send spies into the church to check them out. And one of the spies reported back to the Roman government, and I'll quote it to you, a bit modernized. These Christians are very strange people. They meet in an empty room to worship. They have no image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, by whom they seem to be expecting at any moment. And then he concluded by saying, and my, how they love him and how they love one another. What a compelling and attractive testimony to be able to see in the lives of believers. So today, we're really going to see how Peter unpacks this, how we are called as the church and as individuals to live a life where we are being constantly transformed to bring transformation to those around us. The title of this series, I think today's preach is really centered around that. I want to encourage you, though, as we walk through today, to listen to what the Spirit is speaking to you. I don't think there's massively new stuff in what I'm bringing today, but my prayer is that he would give you various ways to grow in your walk with Christ, to be more like him, so that others can see Jesus through you. And that would be my hope for myself as well. So let's read our passage, 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to you, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. 
for the days of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, Lord God, as we ask your spirit, would you impress upon us areas that, of our lives that need to be conformed more into the image of your son? And Lord, we know we can't do that just through willpower or strength. Lord, we need your strength to change. And so God, would you, by your spirit, would you transform us? by your word, that we might become more like your son, Jesus, that we might be a light that the world so desperately needs to see, that they would understand and know the true power of the gospel and that the power to change and transform lives. And so, Lord, teach us now from your word as we pray and look at this in your name. Amen. So this morning, I think there are four ways that Peter is showing us in this passage on how we can be a powerful witness to a watching world. The first of those is we can be a witness through our love. Through our love as Christians to each other, as the church, we can be a witness. Verse 8, we're going to spend quite a lot of our time looking at this verse this morning. It says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. As I said, he says, all of you. Because he now kind of pivots from the past few bits in this book uh, and comes to address all of us as Christians, the entire church. Here's how we are to live. And the first thing that he wants us to understand is that we are to be a powerful witness through our love for one another in the church. And he uses five words, doesn't he, to describe this kind of love. Those words are actually paired up and they're all centered around this middle bit, love one another. So firstly, we'll take be like-minded, and this comes by being humble, humility. We are to have a unity of mind, some translations say, and we are to have a humility of mind, and these two go together. Now, this is not speaking about worldly unity that we all think about, that we all dress alike, that we all like the same music, the same art, same kind of coffee. That is worldly unity, somehow unified by our preferences. No, this is something so, so much greater. This is unity of heart. This is centered around the gospel of Jesus. This is despite our differences and despite our preferences that we are unified in glorifying Jesus as one body. Ephesians 4, a well-known chunk of scripture around unity, uh, verses 1 to 6, I'll just read to you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. He says, you are diverse in culture, but you must be unified in the spirit of God. This is radical biblical unity that could cause Jews and Gentiles who had grown up their whole lives to hate each other, learning to despise each other, who come from opposite cultures, coming together to be like-minded. 
what could bring them together as one church, unified in Christ? It was only the gospel of Jesus, only the gospel that can transform them, only the spirit of God that could be daily transforming them more and more into the image of Christ, helping them to love those that they had been taught to hate, that they would become one in Christ. You know, there has been so much division in our world over the past year and beyond. There are many reasons for that. Maybe the growth of social media, the connectedness and polarization of our political parties, division over the best way to handle COVID. There has been so much division. And that's before we even look across the rest of the world and see all that's going on in Russia and Ukraine at the moment. The world needs to see the church, that the gospel of Jesus, where people set aside their personal preferences and feelings and come together to be united in the gospel. This is the kind of like-minded unity that we are called to. The world needs to see the church. How does this type of unity come? Where does it come from? How is it accomplished? Well, Paul says it's from humility, the humility of mind. And we see here in 1 Peter that he is urging us to humility. Two Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, one of the central passages on the need for humility as followers of Jesus, Paul says this to the church calling a divided church to be unified. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but the interests, but to the interests of the others. A well-known couple of verses it is humility that we are called to as followers of Jesus. It's not celebrated. <laughs> It wasn't celebrated back then in Roman culture. And so when Paul says he's speaking very much in a countercultural manner, he says you need to be transformed by the gospel because you need to walk in humility. Our culture doesn't celebrate it. Our politicians, our celebrities, the world does not celebrate humility. But Jesus is honored and glorified through humility. And we, as followers of Jesus, must grow in how we do this in the power of the Spirit. How different would God's church look if we all walked in humility? How different would it be if we didn't look out for our own interests, but instead became really concerned about the interests of others? And I think we do a great job of this, but there's so much more. We are called to live in humility, to be radical witnesses to a watching world because it's not natural. It takes a work of the Spirit of God. May God grow us as a church. The second aspect uh, from here is care, sympathy and compassion. The word sympathy literally means to share in suffering. It means to feel what others are feeling and to enter into them, enter into their feelings with compassion. It's the idea that we would actually enter into feelings of others and experience what they are experiencing, to bear the burdens with them. Paul expresses it this way in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. To do this, we must actually enter into the lives of others. We must set aside our own desires and walk into others' lives. To actually know what we're walking through, what they're walking through. Actually know what they're experiencing. And then to ask the Lord to give us empathy for their lives. 
Jesus is the ultimate example. We see this in Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus entered into our world so that he could sympathize with us, so that he could feel our suffering and feel our pain and to know what it was like to be tempted. To sympathize is to enter into another person's world. And to do this requires great sacrifice. It's really difficult. It requires a sacrifice of time, sacrifice of vulnerability. Entering into the lives of others and caring for them requires that we listen, not just talk. Right now in our culture, everybody's talking. Everybody has an opinion. But there are so few people listening. There are so few people that are empathizing and sympathizing and caring. As the church, we are to be different. We are to be listening and empathizing and caring and reflecting what Jesus is doing in this season, helping people to see more of him, not more of us, and not trying to solve problems. How do we do that? It takes humility. It takes sacrifice. It takes entering into the lives of others. And so I have to ask you this morning, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to take the time to enter into people's lives? whether it be your community group, whether it be someone in your life group, someone else in the church, are you willing to enter into the lives of others and hear their stories and to listen to their pain, what they're walking through, what their concerns are, what their worries are? Because it's only through by doing that can we help them see more of Jesus. This is what we're called to as God's people. The Lord has called us to empathize, to show compassion and to care and to help them see more of Jesus. And then the final aspect of love that we see here is in the middle. It's where we start. It's to love each other. In other translations, we get show brotherly love or to love each other as brothers and sisters. This is the most central part of what Peter is trying to say here. I actually think the NIV simplifies it slightly too much by just saying love each other. This is kind of deep family kind of love. To understand this more, we have to look at the culture in which it was given. And you have to understand that in the Roman world, in the Greek world, and even in the Jewish world, that there was no stronger allegiance than to love your family. Our calling is to be fully devoted to Jesus. But then we see here in Peter that it goes further. You now have a new family. You are a new allegiance. It is first to God, your father, and then he says to your brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, we have a new responsibility when we become Christians to love as brothers and sisters. And this is true of the big C church, but even more true of the little C church, this local gathering of believers here at the Oak, that God has called us as brothers and sisters to love one another in such a radical way that it is a witness to the watching world around us. In John 13, Jesus tells his disciples, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how people are to know that you are my followers, by the way that you love one another in a way that the world has never known and never seen and does not understand. This love, this sacrificial love, this love of humility that Jesus demonstrated to us. We know that the Big C Church does not always do this well, hasn't done it well historically. We are not known for our love for each other. It needs to change. 
Can we love one another radically in such a way that when people of Farsley, Pudsey, Bramley, Rodley, Bradford, all the others that I've missed off, enter into our midst, they see such a radical, sacrificial love for one another that they can't make sense of it. And they can only be attributed to the gospel of Jesus and the transformation by his spirit. So that's what God has called us to. It starts with every single one of our individual lives. As we pursue Jesus, as we die to self, as we love one another, we can be a powerful witness to the world we are now as we love each other. Second way that we can see here is that we can be a powerful witness through our response. Specifically how we respond to evil that is done to us. We can be a powerful witness to the world. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Peter says this is how the world will know that you are followers of Jesus. This is how you are not to respond to evil and insults that are done against you. Do not respond in retaliation. That's what's natural for us. When somebody harms us, we're trying to think about how we can harm them straight back. When somebody wounds us emotionally, we're trying to think of what kind of words we can use to hurt them in return. This happens in friendships, marriages, lives are pulled apart by sinfulness. This happens in business, and sadly, even in the church. But Jesus calls us. He says that you are, well, when you are attacked, when you are insulted, we are not to insult in return, but rather we are to bless. Bonkers. The word bless means to speak well of. We are to respond with blessing. We are to give praise, give thanks. We are to be generous when we are attacked. We are to bless. Sounds crazy. It almost sounds impossible. In our own strength, in our flesh, it absolutely is. There's no way in our own strength that when we are attacked, we will respond with blessing. And yet, through the power of God's spirit, through the transformation of the gospel, that is what we are called to do. Jesus is our example again in this 1 Peter 2, 23. We'd already read this a few weeks ago. This is what Peter says about Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusts himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. How can we respond in this way to not retaliate in return? Well, he tells us that we should put our full trust in the righteous King Jesus, who will judge on our behalf. You can either retaliate and try and tell yourself it was the right thing to do, or you can entrust yourself to the Lord, who will be your ultimate guide and judge. But you can't do both. You've got to choose either the Lord as your righteous judge or yourself. Jesus says it this way in Luke 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. Bless those who curse you and pray this is not natural, but in the power of the Spirit, it's a powerful witness to the watching world of the transformation of the gospel of Jesus in our lives. It's supernatural. It's Christ-like. It is being more transformed into the image of Jesus. 
it's really difficult. And there's no way we can do it in our own strength. For me, I think of a couple of weeks ago when I went to pick up Lauren from school. Uh, she's in year one, not Izzy who stood up here, the other one. Uh, and I had that moment when the teacher came out. Uh, left Lauren inside and the teacher came out to speak to me. Kind of that moment if you have children where you kind of your heart sinks. Oh no, what's happened? She's had a pretty rubbish day. She'd done something really embarrassing over lunch, which I won't talk about, and her whole table laughed at her. Understandably, she'd, she just hadn't had a great afternoon. Anger as a parent certainly built up. I think Tamsin's words were, I want to punch them all in the face. <laughs> Obviously not, but her first reaction, our first reaction is to retaliate, to make them all understand how horrible they were, to get justice on Lauren's behalf. Actually, what came from this moment was just a really good conversation with Lauren. And by no means, I'm saying we're perfect. <laughs> this was what I'd probably say is a parenting win. We talked to her and asked her about it. And kind of asked her what she'd have done if she was in their situation and helped her look to Jesus. And practically what's now come out of that is that we're going through each member of her class each night before bed and praying for them one by one. We've got one of those classical photos in her bedroom and she is praying by name for each person, one by one, praying thanks over them for their friendship and that they'll know more about God. It's humbling to see how her prayer for each of them is just pointing them to Jesus. I'm excited to see what will happen next and expectant for God to move. But it's challenging. We might have been able to lead Lauren through that moment, but only a couple of nights ago, I certainly didn't end up praying for the two guys that broke into my neighbor's van as I watched it back on the CCTV. This is hard and we need Jesus and his spirit to be transforming us. It takes a work of the spirit. What should our response be as followers of Jesus? Should we look just like the rest of the world that's just hurling abuse at one another? Or should we look like Jesus, who prayed for his enemies? He did not insult in return. I pray that God will transform my heart and your heart, that we'll be more like Jesus, so that we can be a powerful witness through our response. So we're called to be a witness through our love and we're called to be a witness through our response. The third way, third way we can be a powerful witness is that we can be a powerful witness through our pursuit, specifically our pursuit of peace for those that God places in our lives. Look at verses 10 to 11. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Now, Peter is quoting from Psalm 34 here, and he does so as he's, he tries to connect the church with the people of God that the Psalms were written to, that we are the people of God. And if we seek the blessing of God, it comes through the same way. It comes through walking in faithful obedience to the Lord. He says it this way, whoever desires to love life, whoever desires to enjoy the life that God has designed for us, and those who desire to see good days, those that desire to experience the blessings of God that he gives us through his covenant love, 
we can experience this life. Three things quickly from this little bit. It says, control your tongue, guard your behavior, and seek peace and pursue it. If you want to enjoy the life that God has called you to, control your tongue, guard your behavior, and pursue peace. He says, first of all, control your tongue. Let us keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. The tongue is a powerful weapon. It gives us so much trouble because out of the mouth comes what's in the heart. And so as it pours out, when there's gossip or deceit or slander or mocking, whatever comes out of the mouth, that comes from the heart, wounds and harms. But we are called to control our tongues and to speak good of others and blessing to others. Secondly, we must guard our behavior. We must turn away from evil and do good. This is what we tell our children from the smallest point in their lives. Don't do bad, do good. Simple. That's what Peter is saying, really. He says, do good. Walk in obedience with the Lord that you should have fruits of repentance in your life and turn away from evil. Seek him in obedience and turn from evil. Guard our behavior. And then finally, he says, we must seek peace and pursue it. Now, peace in the Bible is not the absence of conflict. The word shalom, specifically in the Old Testament, means the idea of wholeness or fullness or completeness. It's a return back to the way that God has designed things. It's to experience life the way that God has designed it from the very beginning. A return to the garden and to the restoration of a relationship with God the way that he has intended it to be. So ultimately, we know the greatest peace that a person can experience is through the gospel of Jesus. When somebody is restored by trusting in Jesus, they are restored by their sin being forgiven and being adopted into God's family. That is the greatest peace a person can experience. So the greatest responsibility that we have as Christians is to proclaim the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel, to call people into peace, into restoration with Jesus. This is what we're called to. As the church, we're called to pursue peace. We're called to seek to pursue peace. We need to be asking God, how do we do that better? Who are you placing in our lives? How can we be a presence of peace in the midst of so much division and chaos? How can we be a people of peace? And as we do, we will see we'll be a radical witness to the gospel. So we're called to be a witness through our love, our response to evil, and through our pursuit of peace for those God places in our lives. Fourthly and lastly, the final way Peter explains how we can be a powerful witness is that we can be a witness through our hope. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter says our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in a righteous judge who will one day restore all things to the way he designed them to be. Our hope and our faith is not in this world. It's not in the politics of this world. It's in Jesus. And the world needs to see that our hope and our faith are not crushed by what's going on around us. But our hope is founded in the gospel. That we stand upon the rock of Jesus. And as the world gets darker, the church gets brighter. As the world gets darker, the church gets brighter. We have an opportunity to be able to proclaim that hope and to share that hope, and to be a witness to that hope.
Next week, we'll open this much more, I expect. But 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter says, you're going to be living your lives in such a way that people are going to see that your hope is different. And they're going to ask you about it. And they're going to ask, why? Why do you have this hope? In our broken, desperate world, where so many are lacking hope, you can say, that's not where my help is. My hope is in the Lord Jesus. I have nothing to fear. I have no enemy that can destroy me. For Jesus has destroyed all my enemies, and he is victorious through the cross. And so I can have hope every day, and I can share hope, and I can believe in hope, and the world can see that. Church, that's what the Lord has called us to, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Our hope is on display to a watching world. Maybe you can invite Emily and the band back up as we come to respond. But we've mentioned four ways that Peter encourages us this morning on how we as Christians can be a powerful witness to this world. We are called to be a witness through our love for one another. We are called to be a witness through our response to evil. We are called to be a witness through our pursuit of peace to those around us. And we are called to be a witness through our hope in Jesus Christ. May God help us as a church to be more of a faithful witness to all those we are connected to. May our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues, our families, the cities of Leeds and Bradford see more of Jesus through us. What has God been speaking to you about? Let's pray and then we'll sing to respond. Heavenly Father, we need you to transform us. God, nothing that we talked about this morning is natural. Absolutely nothing. Lord, nothing that we've talked about this morning is what we would do in our own strength and in our own flesh. We so desperately need your spirit to change us, Lord. We pray and we ask, God, that as a church, you would change us and you would start with us as individuals. God, that you would transform us, that we might be a light on a hill that people might be able to see a tangible picture of the gospel and lives that have been transformed by the power of Jesus. Lord, we, we know we can't do it without you. So God, would you, by your grace, through your word and by your spirit, would you help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called to, that we'd be a witness to this world that is watching. Lord, we need you. Welcome your spirit to move amongst us. We recognize by ourselves we cannot do this. We come to you and say, Lord, help. In your name we pray. Amen.